Well, let's, let's go ahead and ask the Lord's blessing on this. Dear Lord, we're thankful. Anytime we get to talk of you and establish our lives closer and closer to the maturity you ask us to have in your son, we'd ask that this would help us this morning. In your son's name, amen. We're in 1 Timothy 1 this morning. Here, the first sermon of 2015. I had to create another file for 2015 sermons. Uh, and uh, even I have them in notebooks, all the PDFs, it goes back to the 90s. I've got lots of notebooks of sermon notes. And I want you to know, I don't just go back and grab one, change the date, and preach on it. I just haven't figured out how to do it. If I could figure out how to do it, I would. Um, this is when, when Sean's father was leaving this morning, I was talking to him about I was doing my sermon prep and, and uh, telling him I, the conversations I had been in the last few days, I've mentioned this before, that, that shift your thinking pushes you into a, a, a path of, of thought that you start thinking about certain passages or you brought them up in your conversation because you needed them in the conversation. And that sort of gives your uh, a sermon idea a leap forward because you've been thinking about that idea. And I was talking to some uh, guys that I just got to know recently um, that were... Um, uh, I would say different theological persuasion. They were of a different ecclesiastical persuasion. They weren't um, this way, you know, this kind of really low church. They were really high church. Nice guys. Loved, they loved to talk. They loved to talk. They loved to keep me up late. Which... Uh, um, has its point, but other times it does not. And we were talking about the role of a minister, the role of one of these guys who was interested in going into the ministry, and, and um, he had been an Assemblies of God minister at one point. <laughs> and we were talking about the, the nature of a pastor's handling of doctrine, you know, uniquely Eventine doctrine. Does Evan usually bring up doctrinal views? My view about eternal security, my view about uh, freedom of the will, my views, you know, end times, whatever you want to talk about. And as I thought about it, I thought about what we do, what we do here at All Souls, and we generally don't, as far as I'm aware. You know, most of you don't have any idea what my theology is. You know that I'm wrong, but you, that's just an article of faith for you. You have to, well, he's, but thank God he never quite speaks about it. It's, I mean, it slops out a little bit, it sneaks out every so often, but without, uh, uh, it's not a lesson. You're not being taught how to hold to my views faithfully so that the statement of faith of all souls Christian could become this narrow difference between us and another bunch of Christians. Thankfully, you're, you know, I was teasing Ruby downstairs, she's reformed. So her parents, <laughs> not like she had a choice. 
Yeah, a little theology humor there. Um, very, very little. And who knows what else you have. I was uh, talking to uh, Sean's dad, um, and Sean's dad and I find ourselves agreeing on an awful lot, just in conversations. We sort of end up taking each other's sides. Then he reveals the other night that he's pre-trip dispensational, you know, and I about, you know, tore my hair out. Because I have it to tear out. There's a different approach, and I want to talk this morning about that approach, because so much of the Christian faith either becomes sloppy in their thinking, not, they end up posting quotes from the Dalai Lama online and, and Max Lucado or someone like that, not really mm, gripping, or they get all, you know, um, doctrinal about things. And can you have a serious, thoughtful, aggressive Christianity that is not about doctrine? No problem with doctrine. Good, have some. 1 Timothy 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now the wonderful thing about that intro, is, as, as an intro, is he does not have um, additions. It is not by the command of our open theist God and Savior. It's not our reformed faith. It is not our dispensational or our preterist this or our, you know, uh, helping people along, let them know what kind of Christian we are. This is just Christian. Look how much is in there. Our Savior, our hope, our Father, our Lord. These are the where the command comes from to Paul. Why the command to Paul is being is pursuing Timothy in regard to these things from God the Father and our Jesus Christ our Lord. There's that dangling bit of obedience by command of God our Savior. Timothy, my true child in the faith. What is being hung out there as Christianity? Well, if we're going to be Christians, let's be good ones. That's why my, you can quote me on that. Pastor Reverend Wilson said, if we're going to be Christians, let's be good ones. Well, we need to know, because we have a, I used to be working, and Mark did too, uh, work in the Christian book business. And the Christian book business, I know people don't read books anymore, but in the Christian book business, there used to be, like in the non-Christian book business, 
all sorts of self-help stuff, all sorts of directional things that are, are trying to improve you. Life coaching. You have to decide, you have to decide what kind of Christian you're going to be. So where are you going to be about it? What are you going to be doing? Because the presumption is, if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to be pursuing God. What's that going to look like? And when you say serious Christian, what do you mean? What does that word carry something? Serious Christian. How does it <laughs> get defined? But I want you to just think of that introduction. Where the wishing and the blessing on Timothy is grace, mercy, and peace. That has to be, and you see this a lot in introductions, a lot of grace, a lot of mercy, a lot of God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But the wish is not just, a, it's not just a dear so-and-so, it's a, this is what Christians desire for themselves and desire for one another. So this morning we're talking about how, in a kind of a basic way, how to structure that. Because not everybody agrees with this, oddly enough. If you've ever been in a rule-driven church, and uh, a legalistic church, and you've been reading passages in the New Testament condemning the very process and the thought, and you wonder, how did they manage to get here? To be about this versus that. To be about law versus grace. How did they manage to do it? So since everybody doesn't think we're supposed to be about this, understand that Paul realized that they were people in the churches that he was dealing with, but also didn't think church was supposed to be about this. So this idea is Pauline in its nature, and it's a reprimand to other teachers who, just like today, do it differently. Not think, you know, in some sort of way differently than you do, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Nor occupy themselves with myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the divine training that is in faith. He's jumped right up both front feet into this, well, he doesn't have front feet, both feet into this uh, issue we're talking about this morning. Rather than the divine training that is in faith, there were certain people in the church that Timothy was tasked to go fix on this problem. Because it doesn't say what doctrinal difference it is in a, inside the church, outside the church. Is it a different religion? Is it Mormonism? Don't teach any Mormonism. Don't teach any Gnosticism. That would certainly qualify. 
But the difference is, at least, minimally, since he doesn't give you a list on the nature of the Trinity, on the nature of the deity of Jesus Christ, on the nature of the gospel, doesn't give you the list. He juxtaposes it rather than divine training that is in faith. Okay? That's the title of the right stuff. Divine training that is in faith. Instead of that, a different teaching than that. So all we have to do to discover at least the immediate meaning of the passage is I don't get to import my doctrines. You know, I have, I'm a preterist, I'm an open theist, I'm a number of things. I don't get to import those to this passage and say, you're wrong if you teach anything different than my doctrine. That's not what he said. It's different doctrine rather than divine training that is in faith. I need to figure out what divine training in faith is, preferably from this passage, so I know what to tell people not to do. And it seems that a different doctrine, which could be just about anything, is also said, nor occupy themselves. Watch out for difference than divine training that is in faith, and watch out for the occupation that involves, you might say, a really detailed understanding. That, frankly, you have to make up portions of. When you have to invent portions of the argument, watch out, just watch out. Speculations, we are human beings, we can't help it. But when I step into myths and endless genealogies, here's his example, because of the detail, because of the potential, you might say, conflict in the detail, people are coming up with reasons why those myths they're coming up with offerings. Now, I have people ask me questions all the time about, well, what do you think this was there for? I can say, well, I think this, but I, you know, it's a speculation. You ought to warn people that it's a speculation. You should push people back and say, this is, the speculation shouldn't become the teaching of the church. Because a difference and a kind of handling of the scripture, uh, elevating things that should not be elevated, Myths and endless genealogies. Set us up for sounding like our knowledge is important. Because it's really detailed and big books are written about it with long titles. With no pictures. And so we think we're dealing with divine training in faith and we're not dealing with divine training in faith. So, our task this morning is to find out what divine training in faith is. Because we're not supposed to step away from that. We should not have a Christian, let's just assume the differences inside of Christianity and the myths and endless genealogies are right out of the Bible. And there's a lot of Bible study involved in these groups of people. These kinds of people that Timothy's walking up to and going, you should probably not be doing this. You should probably not be in the ministry. Look, verse 5. Whereas the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 
in case you were wondering what divine training in faith was. You need to have the kind of body of believers around you, teachers in your life, books that you're reading, and I'm not saying exclusively, You just need to be sure that you're not basing your idea of growth in the church and in Christ as a growth in the theology of your group. Or all the detail, all of the um, excitements about specialty specialty knowledge that is is, uh, about um, things that aren't important. Divine training that is in faith has a success measured in love. Divine training that is in faith has a success that's measured in love. And that love isn't taught, it's affected. Okay? Not affected, like, oh, that's a, what an affectation. This is an effectation. It's effect. It's an effect in your teaching. You don't go, oh, I'm going to teach you all to love. No. We teach people how how to have a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith, since the love issues from that. Right? Is that what we're saying? Our charge is love that issues from. So I have to make pure hearts, good consciences, and sincere faiths. I have some words here. I'm not a scholar, of, uh, but I can look things up. And so I looked up these words. I looked up pure, good, and sincere. Catharos, I guess it's like cathartic. Agathos, like Agatha, I suppose. Anybody named Agatha here? No. I can't pronounce this. Uh, Anupokritos. Anupokritos. That is the sincere. The katharos is clean, pure, physically purified by fire. That kind of heart. You wonder why in our circles, at least our circles, the man who spanked me growing up, Jim Wilson, looking to purify my heart through a direct application of a ping pong paddle to my rear end, also taught confession of sin. Taught the grace of God, the mercy of God. Driving people back to their knees to get purified by God because a purified individual, a centerpiece, a heart, a heart that is pure, is one of the things the ministry of the church, divine training and faith, is supposed to be encouraging you and teaching you how to have. Agathos, of good constitution or nature, useful, salutary, good, pleasant, agreeable, joyful, happy, excellent, distinguished, upright, honorable. That kind of conscience. The word conscience has to do with soul, mind. Your your frame of mind is... It's a good constitution. It's pleasant, it's agreeable, it's joyful. That's where your mind is. You're not some sort of rat bastard that is out there complaining about this, that, and the other thing. You're not always kicking against the goads, always arguing with the man, always just, no, 
You're a good person for heaven's sake. That's what the church is trying to produce out of wicked people through the gospel of Jesus Christ is purify their dang hearts, get them forgiven, create a mind in them that accepts, does not argue with rejoicing, does not argue with the goodness of God and the love for other people, but builds that. And lastly, a sincere faith, an anupokritos, unfeigned, undisguised, sincere. I'm a pastor. And I, and I, I don't think of that as something like a, I like joke, I'm a bishop, you know. Just call me bish. Call myself vicar. Which isn't legitimately so. I, you know, people say, All Souls Christian. The vicar of All Souls Christian Church is Evan Wilson. Well, vicar actually is like the word vicarious, and it comes from being the representative of the bishop, you know, in your diocesan structure. You know, I ha- there is no bishop in the diocesan structure that I am the representative, the vicarious presence. But I like to joke about those things. I'm a pastor. And frankly, I could probably get away with wearing a collar. Just on my own, you know, just walk around town in a collar. Ooh, a religious man. There could be some satisfaction in that. But I get enough of it Sunday morning. Because, and I don't know if you know you do this, but some of you nod when I look at you. Making a point. Talky, 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 run run past your face. It's that, it's that forever, he's looking at me, I need to give him a yes, Pastor. I'm agreeing with you, Pastor. I'm catching what you're saying, Pastor. There are people who agree with me without thinking about what I'm saying. There are people who think I preach a good sermon because I preached one. Now, but surely none of you. It's the people that aren't here this morning. Because I noticed that as I did that, nobody nodded. The, the nodders are not here, okay? You know who they are. Smile knowingly when they show up next Sunday. Oh yeah, you guys. People have a, have a feigned religion. They like to say to men of the cloth things they think men of the cloth like to hear. I was strangely moved by your sermon this Sunday, Pastor. It said so many good things. Oh, really? Like what? Um, about Jesus. People are feigning religion all the time. And they think they're fooling somebody. They really do. Because the Christian church in history and on the screen and wherever else you would see it is filled with feigned faith. Not sincere faith, people who believe in the living God. Not good consciences. Or people whose mind has been restructured to represent Christ's virtues, not your own. You don't get to keep annoyance. You don't get to keep impatience. You don't get to keep a lack of love. Because a good conscience knows how to think like Jesus Christ and has been taught in their church and in their fellowships and their Bible studies how to think like Jesus Christ. 
and they know how to be right with him. They know how to obey him, and if they don't obey him, they know how to confess their sins. Now, you say, Evan, you've gotten through five verses and you kicked it. <coughs> us over the goalposts any number of times, okay? You stressed this. Why are you stressing this? It's just Timothy, for heaven's sake. Because of this, verse 6. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion. These are the people that he said back in verse 3, you may charge certain persons not to teach a different doctrine. This is the different doctrine. That it's more important to tell people that they should have the gift of tongues, or have this view of the end times, or that view of the nature of the mechanism of election. Whatever it is, I don't care. My view, your view. How is it making you more like the Lord Jesus Christ? How is it making you purer of heart, better conscience, more sincere faith? Because those issue a love that is the aim of the Christian teaching. I mean, you can't do the math. There it is. First paragraph in the book. And if you swerve, it's a wandering. And it's, well, we're not talking about somebody who gave it all up and became a Buddhist. We're talking about someone who just swerved. Who needs to have another Christian teacher sent by Paul to come up to and go, you know... This is not what we're about as Christians. It's just a swerving. It's just an overstress over here. But it creates wandering. It creates vanity. And the thing is, people do this because they think there's a depth out there they need to find. They aren't satisfied with the idea of being pure-hearted, good conscience, and sincere faith, and having the love that results from that. Maybe they don't know what those are. They desire to be teachers of the law, verse 7, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make assertions. They say nonsense, they embrace nonsense. They point to that nonsense that they say and that they embrace and they say, this is what the church needs to be about. I don't, again, I don't care which doctrine it is. In your mind, make it the doctrine that Evan has, okay? Because that's, you know, the, the, the safest place to see preaching against doctrinal Ism. I like it when Paul does it in Corinthians where he says, was Paul baptized? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Did Paul die for you? When he's talking against taking up camps, it's easy to speak against taking up camps when you think that there's an unspoken urging that people take yours up. So apply it to what you think Evan's doctrine is. I was asked two nights ago when I was being kept up late by this young buck who I want to tell you I love cigars, okay? I love them. And if I may be frank, I love whiskey. Not sinfully. Well, this young man had brought whiskey and cigars over to my library. 
And I want to know, you to know that there was almost an outraged sensibility in Evan when after having smoked two cigars, he lit another one and poured himself another glass. Not because he was any way affected by the, but because it was midnight. And he was just starting another cigar. I'm in a hospitality ministry, but I was getting, as you say, the end of patience had come. But I was talking to him about this. And he was wondering, what do you mean? What do you mean? It was, a, it was that level of what do you mean preaching about the life. He could not comprehend that the deeper Christian walk, preaching-wise, wouldn't be entirely theological. That you better start people at some sort of systematic beginning and take them through the nature of God, the nature of the gospel, the nature of man, the nature of this, the nature of that, the nature of the end, the nature, so your church would be all on board with whatever you theology you think is true. But if the aim of your ministry is love, and there's a warning out there that divine training in faith, if missed, will lead wanderers into vain discussion, saying nonsense, believe me, there's still going to be a bunch of people, because these guys, these are smart people that do smart things and write books, desiring to have that standing, not of someone who moves you to be more like the Lord Jesus, but moves you to be more like a commander in their panzer division of whatever theology it is. Now he tells you that these people desire to be teachers of the law. And it's a great example. He jumps right in and says, these guys don't know what they're talking about with the law. He says, now we know that the law is good. I mean, he's, he's saying, okay, let me tell you what they've got wrong. And it's going to amaze you because it's what they still get wrong. 2,000 years later, the book's been in English for centuries. We've been able to look at this and go, oh boy, I never knew why I was building our church around complete nonsense. Now we know that the law is good, if anyone uses it lawfully, right? Okay, all right, because remember, they desire to be teachers of the law, they don't know what they're saying about the, or about the, anything about the stuff they're making assertions, but they're out there doing it. They're out there speculating. They're out there make, you know, making nuanced distinctions between mythic things and genealogical things and any ideas that they want to insert eisegetically into the text. One uses it lawfully if you understand this. But the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient. Paul's fought this, fought this battle before. I have preached on it before, so you know what I think about it. The law is not there for running the Christian life. It is not laid down for the good. It is laid down for the bad. He gives you a list. 
For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, immoral persons, sodomites, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. If you think you're going to be a teacher of the law, what are the primary things that the average young buck who thinks he's going to be a teacher of the law does with the law? He applies it to the saints. He tells you that it's the path of sanctification. This young man I was talking to the other night, it wasn't last couple of nights ago that I was on this subject, but I think it was New Year's Eve. He came over and he can't come, he's a real nice guy and uh, really enjoys the conversations. But it was like he always wanted to say, oh, you don't follow, follow the law for justification. You don't follow the law to get saved, but you follow the law for, you know, pleasing God, running the good Christian life. I'm going. It's not laid down for the just. If you think it is, you're a mess. You don't know what you're saying, and you don't know what you're talking about. That's the, basically the Pauline. You know, the Living Bible Version. You don't know what you're saying, and you don't know what you're talking about. I thank him who has given me strength for this. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful by appointing me to his service. When he's talking about this, what is this? He jumped right in. Hi, Timothy. Let's train people in divine things. Let's get them loving this way. Let's walk over here to their heart, their conscience, and their faith, and do what remedial work you have to do there. Teach them what they need to know there. Because there, if they don't swerve from those three things, heart, conscience, faith, they won't get into that mixed up religious world full of nonsensical teaching of who knows what that you can't get people out of because they even miss the point of what it's all about. He thanks God that he's been given over to this service. Though I formerly blasphemed and persecuted and insulted him, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So he's still he's talking about... Don't just jump into a passage midway through this to say he's talking about Timothy remedying a problem in the church to back people off from having the wrong approach to the deeper walk. And then he thanks God that his relationship with God is rooted in that. Because Paul, if anybody could have been the next overstudied theologian, it was going to be St. Paul. I mean, he was a Pharisee. He was a, son, a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. He was ready. He was loaded. He could pull out scriptures left and right. And he stops and goes, thank God that my encounter with God was because of my sin. And I was the object of mercy. And the grace of God overflowed to me and for faith and love in Christ Jesus. And look what he meditates on. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
little more, Paul? A little, little deeper or something? Could you do something deeper than that? No, I could not do something deeper than that. It's the big problem. It's the big act. It's the big mercy. It's the big grace. That's what we're about. Saving sinners from being sinners. And we're not saved by myths and endless genealogies. We're not saved by theology. I tried to make a distinction with my friend the other night between truth and doctrine. And if you think that because your doctrine is true that you're dealing with it as truth. Now dealing it with it as doctrine, let's say you take the same view. Two people take the same view. One can hold it as truth and one can hold it as doctrine. <coughs> Meditate on that for a little bit. Truth and doctrine. They're both affirming propositionally the exact same thing. Let's say the Trinity. We all agree with the Trinity. It's true. It's a doctrine. The truth of it will change your life. The doctrine of it will do squat. The Bible though we, from which we learn about the Trinity, never teaches the doctrine of the Trinity. Ever. Anywhere. Doesn't even bother to use the term. It just introduces us to the truth of a God who is one and who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do what you want after that. The truth of it, God introduces you to. The doctrine of it, we start having endless genealogies speculating about how to define the Trinity. And we turn the belief in that doctrine into something worth killing someone over. By the time we're done, talk about a vain discussion, talk about a swerving, talk about a wandering, where Christians literally could tie another man up to a post and light him on fire. Okay, think about your own mind, and think about what you would have to go through to be willing to tie another Christian up to a post and light on fire. I mean, we were like ISIS. I mean, think about it. The Christian church, through most of its hundreds of years of functioning, once it got into the vain discussion, once it got into fighting about it, once they stopped being pure in heart and good in conscience, sincere in faith, they started to be rat bastards. <coughs> They start killing each other. Dead on a field. Dead at a post. Head lopped off. I want you to, when you look at ISIS and go, horrors. Look at Christian history and go, horrors. Some of your finest people that you admire, you read their works. You read them like the works of a terrorist. Check how many people the, those you are fond of killed. Paul looks back and says, you know, my life, I was like that before I was saved. That's the wonderful thing about the mercy. I persecuted, blasphemed, and insulted him. And we look at these people who are being created by vain discussion into the kind of rat bastard Paul was before he was a Christian, and of course they don't think about mercy. Of course they don't think about faith and love. 
They'll think about how wonderful it is they got set apart from sin. And I'm the foremost of sinners. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience for an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So that those of us who are called out of our sins, we want the purity of heart, those of us who are called out of our sins, see in Paul, well, he was awful. He got wonderfully saved. Look at that. The nicest guy. Friendly. Didn't light anybody on fire anymore. He got over that. The kind of religion, and I'm not denying the truth of what a lot of the people said down through history. I'm just telling you that they were wandering from divine training in faith as they wandered into theology. I love theology. It's great. It's great fun. You've got to keep it fun. You've got to keep it avocational. The truth of it is vocational. The argument of it is avocational. Thinking that the argument produces the godliness. We see in these sinners, forgiven, what this is all about, what the point is. Remind yourself of your own testimony. He just reminded himself of his own. Give your testimony to some others. When I create, when I create a group of religious Christians, not that there isn't good religion, we know the verse about religion is pure and undefiled passage, but you know what I mean when I say religion. People who play religion, they get involved in the, the, the points of agreement, the, the liturgy, the ecclesiastical order, the history, the traditions. You don't feel like singing then unless you hire a good choir director because good institutions will hire a good choir director. And they will make it, they will make the singing. I want you singing in the shower. Because that's what Paul gets. He he says, you know, Timothy, I left you to deal with this. People should be about divine training in faith. It should be about the heart. It should be about the conscience. It should be about their faith. It shouldn't be about this other stuff, however true it may be. But most of the time, it isn't true. Most of the time, they don't know what they're doing. I am glad I got saved. Frankly, says Paul, I'm glad I got saved. I'm a great example to anybody who might need to get saved because God forgave me. And then... He rhapsodizes to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I just want you know, basically, misspent efforts, desiring to be teachers of the law, different doctrines, myths, genealogies, endless speculations, you will not rhapsodize coming out the other side. Think of the mercies of God. Think of the grace of God. Think of your faith in God. 
Think of how you have grown, how much at peace you are, that grace, mercy, and peace has been given to you, and you're walking six inches off the deck because of Jesus Christ. You will rhapsodize. You might not be a poet. You might come out kind of clunky, not this good, not this immortal, invisible stuff. You might just say to yourself, oh God, what a day. That might be good enough. But when you're religious, you need a choir director. The singing can be wonderful. I have nothing against choir directors. I have nothing against theology. Except people think it's Christianity. The truth is Christianity. God, Christ, is Christianity. This charge I commit to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophetic utterances which pointed to you, that inspired by them you may... Oh, look at that. My, he's really pulling out all the stops. He has gotten to this point. This is your charge. This is what's going on. This has got to be stopped. Boy, I'm glad I got mercy. Ah, what a great God. And Timothy, I am telling you that this is not just my Paul's letter to you, because this is what I'm kind of feeling today. He's saying, the, prof the prophetic utterances regarding you. I'm standing in line. I'm an apostle. I'm telling you this. And the prophecies regarding you should inspire you to wage the good warfare. This has got mystical underpinnings. This is the real thing. This is what... Paul, when he's talking to a friend of guns the other day, a few weeks ago, was, asked me what kind of advice would I give him as a young 20s man who wasn't from around here, heading back home. What kind of advice would I give him, thinking back to my own? We talked a bit about various things. This is Paul's version of that. <laughs> what am I going to say? Timothy, I don't know. These are the biggies. Make your ministry about this. Given that God has prophesied about you, that should inspire you. It inspires me to charge you to commit yourself to this task of the good warfare. You are not given a blank slate after that because there's a comma. That you may wage the good warfare, whatever you think that is. Because the first part of the chapter instructed you what not to get yourself involved in. In fact, stop people from getting involved in that. Look what it tells them. Verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience. That's where the warfare stands. If I don't, if I'm not ministering the faith to myself and to others, if I'm not, and I don't mean the faith, you say, well, right there, you've got the wide open door for all the theologians, because they get to define the faith, right? The code, the confession, the catechism, whatever it is, whatever, however you structure it, statement of faith. People who think that their faith is a statement. If you think your faith is a statement, Never mind, I don't talk about it anymore. Good thing I'm at the end of the passage. It's not a statement. It is true. I can make it a statement, and I can have a statement to somebody else, 
and I've handed them maybe information, a good conscience, all of this, the great things about God only matter if people have pure hearts, good consciences, and sincere in their faith. Everybody right for so many centuries and everybody wrong doing it. Because he goes on, by rejecting conscience, certain persons, keep that category open. They appeared three times in this chapter. Put quotes around it. Certain persons. It's like in the Indiana Jones, remember? Top men. We're not going to tell you their names. Ooh, actually he does in the next sentence. That's a little embarrassing. Just think certain persons have been referred to. It's a polite way of letting people think of who it might be. But by rejecting conscience, certain persons have made a shipwreck of their faith. It's not just, oh, it's vain. Oh, it's silly. They're the deeper walk club, and they're not really the deeper walk club. And they're just, they're not about what Christianity is about. Oh, it's, yeah, it's problematic, but no, 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 no. No, no. It can entertain you for a little bit. For a little while, you can have your, even your specialty group that follows your special foolish teaching about the law. The nonsense you think is true about the end times or whatever it is. If I reject conscience, my faith will be shipwrecked. Shipwreck, you don't travel by ship these days. But I think it really, it really has the imagery you want. It's not like an Indonesian or Malaysian air problem, which just goes out into the sea. Boom, everything's dead, everybody's dead, everybody's gone. Shipwrecks, if you've ever been on high seas in a boat, sailboat, and you don't know where the reefs are, and you don't know where the shore is, and you don't, you're in the fog. You can understand why lighthouses meant so much to people and good boats meant so much to people. Because shipwrecks were this. It's a slow motion train wreck. Okay? It doesn't come up on you immediately. It can be days long as you go down. It's a great image. If I am not, because you're not going to see that coming. If you don't look at this passage and go, okay, okay, I got to get, a, I got to stop this nonsense. I got to be building my life to clarify my heart, to burn it free of my sins, purify it. I need my mind to be bending at the knee to the character of Jesus Christ, to take on in my soul, my mindfulness, the goodness. the happy and excellent things of Christ. I need to have what I believe be what I believe of truth, not what I claim of doctrine. And that may help you distinguish a little bit that you believe the world is this way rather than I take the side of this doctrine regarding that question. Sincerity of faith. I don't want a shipwreck. Because I will 
If I am not warned by Timothy in this moment, I will be vain, self-superior, on a ship about to go down. My wife and I have worked in Christian circles for a number of decades now, and, and there's always, I was talking to my dad last night, I took dinner over to him and, and uh, put his new suspenders on, which a charming process. Um, and we were just talking about the crisis that we see in people's lives. He's got a lot of counseling, we've got counseling. We sit there and try to encourage one another <laughs> about the state of things, you know, the state of people's lives. People not pursuing this. They're shipwrecking. And they usually show up, phone you, in the shipwreck. We're going down. Mayday, Mayday. And you go, well, maybe you should give up your doctrine. Not what your doctrine says, but that you hold it as doctrine. Don't hold the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord. Don't clean your conscience. Don't clean your heart. Don't clean your faith. Yeah, of course you're going down. It's not because you need to switch your doctrine from mine. You need to quit being that way. I have delivered Hymenaeus and Alexander to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. I don't have that power. I'm not an apostle. I have different views about Satan than you do. Let's just say I'm not here to pick a few people out and deliver them to Satan. But I want to take the seriousness of the question that the Christian life is about something else than thousands of years of Christianity has thought. And as they misbehaved as rat bastards through the centuries, it was because they didn't know what Christianity was about. And they were the noblemen, the aristocrats, the famous people, writing the books, guiding the church. And they didn't know what the faith was all about. It is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Let's thank God for that. Dear Lord, we are grateful. Keep us from rejecting these things. Lord, have us seek out the kind of teaching, the kind of study, the kind of personal accountability that ministers to those three areas. We don't want love to be proceeding from us. We want it to be a credit to your son. We don't want the embarrassment of what so much of Christendom has done. Lord, help us be ready to charge them, urge them to not be this way. Asking them how much is what they're doing making them more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't allow them excuses. And help us be the kind of lives that reveal that it can be lived. In your son's name we pray. Amen.